This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. Happy Wednesday to y'all. Canty and Carlin continuing here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Yell at your smart speaker now. Play ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. He's Jordan Ron, and I am Jeff Turn, filling in for the guys. And, and one of the guys is checking in to make sure his show is still here. Chris Canty hanging out with us for the next 20 minutes, host of Canty and Carlin here on ESPN Radio, at Chris Canty. 99. Chris, welcome into your own show. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How you guys doing today? We haven't hey, got doing... you kicked off the air yet, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> we're good. <laughs> I was no, trying to think I was trying to think up based off that uh Carlin uh conversation you had before about rivals uh and fights. I was trying to think who who was like Chris Canty's biggest rival on the field that I should say like who did you who did you hate playing against or you have like a, a rivalry against? Uh, I hated playing against Chris Samuels. Now, that's a deep cut for a lot of people with NFC East ties. Washington. Um, he was the left tackle for the Washington Commanders, and that guy was a headache literally and figuratively every time he played you because he tried to block you by first headbutting you and then trying to drive you into the ground. Ooh, so Chris uh... – Chris against Chris Samuels, the double the Chris is around yeah. here like crazy. Yeah, he was Chris a Samuels against Chris Canty. Yeah, okay, in a, yeah. a steel cage match. Something I would like, like to that. see that. Yeah. I would like to see that. Chris Canty with us here, and Chris, I know you have your top five fan bases. Jordan came up with his earlier as well, and uh, I I sort of jumped in all of this without having to come up with a list, but to give my critiques, and so. I think there's a difference between a smart fan and a stupid fan. I think there's a difference between a loyal fan and a a passionate fan. Um, and so my criteria would have been much different than what Jordan went with. Now, yours, your list looks like this. Packers at five, Bills at four, Steelers at three, Saints at two, Eagles at one. Jordan put another NFC East team there at number one. He had the Cowboys at number one, why did the Cowboys not make your list and they make Jordan's number one spot? Because they're a fair-weather fan base. That's what it is. Like, when things are good, when the team is riding high, they start coming out of the woodwork. But when they're struggling, you can't find a Cowboys fan to save your life. But every, every year, every year beginning of the year, that. they think they're going to win the Super Bowl, though. But that's every fan base. Every fan but base we need thinks the hate. is going to win. We need the Cowboy fan. This, they're the fan that we all love to hate. Like if you didn't play for Jordan, the Cowboys, I can't believe you're saying this as somebody that comes to the Giants. There's no way they make it fun for sports. There's no way that you can legitimize the Cowboys fans. They are the most fair weather football fans that are out there. Period. <laughs> so I, can I, can I, I raise my hand and tell Chris? Chris that's what was why going on we earlier, need Jordan? them. That's why I like that was my criteria. Jordan, by the way, Jordan was Go crushing ahead. me earlier, Chris, because oh, yeah, this is terrible. This is the greatest take ever in sports. There's there is no loyalty in sports. Uh, you guys as players had the opportunity to jump from team to team. Uh, the teams themselves feel like they can interchange players and and you know good teams to bad teams and make money the entire time. Yet we expect fans to be loyal to the product for decades, regardless. And in no other aspect of life is that acceptable. Nobody goes to the same restaurant that sucks. They don't go to the same church that they're not getting the message they want. They don't go to the school that's not educating them. But for some reason, in sports. It's the opposite, and you're crucified if you jump from team to team. I would rather drive the bandwagon and run over loyal fans than be the loyal fans getting run over Come by on. the bandwagon. Come on, Canty. This is ridiculous. Wow. You are the guy that I would not want in the foxhole with me. You'd be ready to wait. First of all, I wouldn't flag. be in the foxhole, okay? Nobody's right, putting me that, in the foxhole. I, I, I wouldn't be there. Apparently, you guys need a sacrificial lamb. Here's, here's Canty. Pushes you out. <laughs> exactly. Man. I'm driving the bandwagon away from the foxhole is where I'm going. Man, I'm never 
never going. I never want to get in trouble with you. You gonna stitch on me the first chance you get. He's a bad guy, man. No, you know what? No, I, here's the thing. I just want to clarify this one thing. Most athletes that I know would would ideally want to stay with the team that drafts them. Like everybody wants to establish a home where where they're where they're playing their professional career or even their college careers. Most guys want to stay there and make make a place their home. But unfortunately, most organizations don't give you that opportunity. So guys are forced to, you know, leave or whatever in free agency, defect, or guys might get cut, and they, they decide to go somewhere else to continue their careers. It's 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 more uncommon um, where guys would decide when they're with a functional franchise that they're just going to bounce, um, you know, because they want to. Usually it has something to do with the, the financial aspect of it. And guys have a finite period of time to monetize their athletic ability. But most players would prefer to stay um, in one uniform their entire career. They're just what about not your afforded that opportunity. What about your parents? Like, do they do they root for like the the Cowboys or the Giants? Like, did they stick with the Giants for, or like, do they fans of another team? Like, how does that work after my dad? After your my dad career? is a diehard Giants fan. It is broke he? his heart that I got drafted to the Cowboys, but <laughs> I mean, he begrudgingly put on the Cowboys jersey. But after a while, being in the NFL and seeing the underbelly of the business. My dad decided to be a fan of any team that's paying me. Of so, course, that makes sense. definitely should be the case. Oh, yeah. So case. he's rooting for any team that's paying his son. I was and just wondering what happened that, afterwards. That, now no one's paying you anymore. So do you go back? Like, does he was did he like being a Cowboys fan? Did he stick to the Giants? Would he pick a, just a new team? Well, Jordan, as you know, I do post game for the New York Giants, so true. I wouldn't necessarily phrase it as that's no true. NFL team is paying me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. I wouldn't one. frame it that way. Still getting that paycheck. <laughs> Just putting that out there. So but no, my dad is a Giants fan. My dad is a Giants fan. There's no question in his allegiance. My, my household, everybody in my household is a Giants fan. Why do you? Why do you got the Eagles at one, Chris? Because my dad went to every single game home and away in my professional career, and the Eagles were the only team where he had to bring along one of my brothers or somebody that was of my stature in order to safely make it in and out of the stadium. Those people are wild. I mean, the old stadium, the vet, they had a jail underneath it. That says all you need to know. Like It had been a long time. Since the Eagles won the Super Bowl, they got their first one in 2017. But that is a diehard, passionate fan base. Hell, they made a movie about a bartender that ended up trying out <laughs> and making the team. Like, that's how diehard Eagles fans are. So, um, it, it's, it's an institution in that city. And just, I, I don't know. It just feels like that's the most passionate sports, well, not sports, but football fan base in the NFL. So do you have any problem, Chris, with me calling myself the number one Lakers fan in the world based on me becoming a Lakers fan when LeBron James signed there because I've jumped around to every team that he's been at? Yes, I do. I have a big problem with that. You are, you <laughs> I said, if I'm a I fan of that team and you're a Lakers fan, you don't even want him, right? You're like, no, get, get I don't out. Want we don't him. need well, you. Let me, let, me, let me walk that back, Jordan. I'm not going to say we don't want him. We'll take him on the bandwagon, but him calling himself the number one Lakers fan, that's just... That's honorable. number one Lakers fan in South Dakota where I live. Can I go that far at least? Because there's not many of them up here. You can I at least claim it in South Dakota. I, you know what? I just feel like it's disrespectful to other Lakers fans in South Dakota. There's somebody rolling around <laughs> there, that's, there. That's a big, that's a Lakers fan that's been rolling with them since Showtime basketball, and I would give them the nod over you. All right, fair let's, enough. Chris, let's Chris stick. Canty with us on Canty and Carlin. Go ahead, Jordan. Let's stick to the Lakers for a second, right? Because we were talking about them earlier in the show, Chris. 
Yep. What do you think, as a Laker fan, what do you think they should do moving forward? Because they're kind of, uh, we talked to George Sedano, and he said it's like a tricky dance. Like they're, they're, they're not, they're, they don't want to go all in and, and mortgage everything and, but, and not at least be responsible for the future. But they have a 38-year-old LeBron James and a 30-year-old and whose basically body is like it's almost 40 in Anthony Davis. Those two things to me don't make sense. So if you're if you're looking at it, what do you want them to do? How do you want them to move forward here? Well, I think they've already gone all in, though, right? Haven't they, Jordan? I mean, you know, this is a team that's pot committed on maximizing the twilight of LeBron James's career. They've got Anthony Davis. They have a lot of young pieces that they would like to keep around. Jared Vanderbilt, who costs next to nothing, but yeah, I think there's cheap. good value there. You want to keep Austin Reeves around. You want to keep Rui Hachimura around. Uh, you know, if you can keep Lonnie Walker around, I'm sure you'd like to do that. But the thing that I, you know, the thing that those guys have in common is that they're all really, really young. They're all like 24 years old. So I think the improvement that the Lakers are going to make this offseason is keeping their own and allowing those guys to continue to grow as players and allowing this team to continue to develop chemistry, rapport, and gel. So hopefully what you saw in the second half of last year and in the postseason this year, you can build on that in 2023 and 2024. Think about this. The core of the Denver Nuggets team has been together at least four or five years. Jokic and Murray have been together seven years. The Lakers team, as constituted, had only been together four or five months, right? They made all of those moves at the trade deadline. And at the deadline, you know, once we got there and beyond, you're talking about a team that had the best record in all of basketball up until they got bounced by the Nuggets. So I just – I think – that's a that's a team that will benefit from having a full off season and a full regular season together. I, I think that puts them closer to the Denver Nuggets than any other splashy trade that they might engage trade talk that they might involve themselves in um, in in the early part of free agency. Chris, I assume that you have familiarity with poker when you use the phrase "pot committed," because sometimes though, when you're pot committed and you and you make a call on the river, you end up costing yourself a lot of money, or in this case. Maybe you cost yourself a couple of years off of becoming good again once LeBron James has his career come to an end because you're committing so much to right now. The Lakers will have a franchise once LeBron is done, and there'll be another superstar other than Anthony Davis that'll wear those colors at some point. So, so how much do you think they should, they should go, all right, like there has to be an end date on this LeBron James-Anthony Davis experiment other than just going every year, we got to wait and see what LeBron wants to do? Um, listen, I think you're going to roll with LeBron as long as Brown wants to play. The fact that he's taking his time to decide what he wants to do, you know, this upcoming season is letting you know that it's going to be a year to year proposition. The scary aspect from that is, you know, Bill Parcells once said, once you start thinking about retirement, you're all retired. So that, sure. that's the one thing I worry about. But LeBron James is a guy that you never had to question when he steps on the court what his sports character is that he's going to be all in on that season and trying to win a championship. So I think you have to go with him uh, as long as he wants to play basketball. And then after that, it's going to look ugly. But we had to deal with those lean years at the end of Kobe Bryant's career. So I think it's another similar situation. But the one thing that I would say is how the Lakers have handled stars in the past is what's going to make the Lakers viable, even if they don't have draft picks to rebuild, because it will always be a destination for superstars to want to come and play. Well, uh, switch here. You know, you you live in New York. You're in the area. You you watch and 
pay close attention to the baseball teams in the area. You got Steve Cohen talking today, right? And let, let's hear let's hear Steve Cohen for a second here. I'm preparing my um, management team for all possibilities. Um, you know, if we don't get better, you know, we have decisions to make at the trade deadline, and um, that's not my preferred um, end result. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing all contingencies. And uh, we'll see where it goes. It's on the players, right? I mean, they're veterans. They've been there before. Um, you know, I think they're, you know, these, these are you know, players that have done it. And we'll see if they can get their act together and, and string together some wins. Uh, I, you know, I can't pitch and I can't hit, okay? So well, that's the way it goes. And, um, you know, we're, we're hoping for the best. Wow, that's Steve Cohen, the owner of the New York Mets. Well, Steve Clearly, Cohen and his team have a lot in common. He said he can't pitch and he can't hit. Well, hell, neither can they. Neither can they. And that's the problem, right? I mean, I, mean, I just want to know from a player's perspective, wow, what do you make? Because he's clearly pointing his finger right there at the players and being like, look, you guys are underperforming. You, It's your fault. What would a, If you're in a locker room and you hear your owner come out, by the way, they have the highest payroll in the sport, come out and say that about you. What do you make of that? Well, I think what he's saying is you guys have to show me something before the trade deadline if you want me to add to this team. Otherwise, I'm going to start selling off pieces. This year, I'm going to find a way to get a win, whether or not that's being able to win on the field or build up my farm system for future years. One way or the other, they are going to build um, it, uh, it, they're going to get some some benefit out of the 2023 season. So I think if you're a veteran player, like the the goal has to be to try to you know find a way to build some momentum going into the trade deadline and, and show the owner that there is life on this team and that they do want to compete. I just after watching this Mets team, I just don't know that that's going to happen. They've lost seven of their last ten games. I just don't see them being able to flip a switch. The bullpen is trash. The starters have been inconsistent. A lot of that has been due to injury, but um, some of it has been, you know, the lack of performance. The DH spot is a complete black hole. And I, I'm I'm sorry, but Francisco Lindor has not lived up to the expectations of a guy nope. that you're paying $34 million a year to. So I just th- – there's a lot that's wrong with the Mets, and I'm not quite sure – if they have any of those guys in that locker room that are going to be capable of being a catalyst and getting things turned around. John Mayer or Jerry Jones ever address the locker room or say stuff like that when you were there? What'd you say? John Mara or Jerry Jones ever say stuff like that or come address the lock, address the locker room when you were there? Uh, no, but the Giants owners didn't have to because I remember the 2011 <laughs> season we did a month of losing, four straight games, and our strength coach said, you know – when you lose four straight games, they start talking about polishing up your resume. They didn't have to tell us what would happen if we kept down that track. Good thing for us we were able to turn it around and win the whole damn thing, yeah, Jordan. But, but the, the reality is that this is a, a results-oriented business. This is a winning business. And, and if you can't win, if you can't produce, then, uh, then they're going to find guys that can. And I remember one of my teammates, Justin Tuck, used to always say, if you like it around here, you better win. Otherwise, things are going to change. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, Chris, with regards to the 2011 comparison for you guys, like, you know, there was seemingly a path after you lost those four games 
to win a championship. I don't know that there's a path here for the Mets, man. Like they're staring up at a juggernaut in the Braves at the top of the division. They're eight and a half games out of the wild card. You're looking up at teams that are I, I look up at the even like the Marlins and the Phillies, I don't see them having catastrophic meltdowns to where even if the Mets played good baseball, they're gonna be in position to win. So I, I think it just feels like the inevitable is gonna come for what Steve Cohen was pointing out. They're gonna have to make moves and focus on it. It feels like the season's done already. We're not even in July, and the Mets are 16 games back in the yeah. division. Yeah. 16 games back. Chris, you'll like this because I say, I'm, I, in a perverse way, I take a little joy in it. And you're a Yankee fan, and so am I. You know, yeah. full disclosure. Remember, you know, years back, all used to hear, all used to hear from Met fans is, "Oh, you have all the money. You're just you could buy a championship every year. Congratulations!" And now look at the tides have turned, and you re- they realize. It's just not that easy. It's just not that easy. And the Yankees, by the way, have realized that as well. Yeah, they certainly have. I mean, yeah. That's well, the at thing least at least too. I can say the Yankees are tied with the Angels for the top wild card in the AL. Like the Mets <laughs> True, ain't even absolutely. close. Wait the a Mets second, ain't even close. Like we, you, the, wait a the Yankees you, you fans, guys are sounding, you guys are sounding like those Knicks fans that Jordan was mad about that were ex- excited that they won a first round playoff. The wild card is acceptable now it for is, Yankees fans. It, it, our, our standards have lowered. It's it's not it's not pretty. But it's, we're not celebrating on the corner of the street like Knicks fans when they win a first round series. <laughs> That's amazing, man. That's amazing. As a Braves fan, I'm just happy I'm sitting atop the the NL East right now with the best winning percentage. Shocked he's a Braves fan right now. (laughs) Right? I'm telling you. He became a Braves fan two years ago, by the way. Wait a second. He he was a Braves fan back in the day. He was a Braves fan last month. He was a Braves fan this month. Yeah. I give you guys a little insight into my fandomonium, and they just crush uh, me for being loyal to my team since the 90s. <laughs> mm-hmm. Chris, appreciate you hanging out on your show with us today. We'll try not to screw this thing up the rest of the way. Thanks for hanging out, man. Appreciate it. Keep it in the, in the road, fellas. Speak <laughs> soon, Chris. Uh, Jordan's going to have to do that for me. I've been all over the place. I've been in the ditch, back in the middle of the lane. Uh, we're back on the road right now. And coming up next, where do the Mets go from here? We'll tackle that as we continue on Canty and Carlin. This is ESPN Radio. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. 
Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. This is the Canty and Carlin Podcast. You know things are bad when the owner of the team has to come out not even halfway through the season and tell everybody what the plan may be when your team is getting mollywopped as the number one spender in all of baseball. $300 million payroll, and you are eight and a half games out of the wild card. Not the division, the wild card. That's the place the Mets find themselves in right now. They're far from the magnificent Mets at this point. Presented by Progressive Insurance, this is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM channel 80 the always splendid jeff passing going to join us espn mlb insider in just a little bit but this is what steve cohen had to say about his mets earlier this afternoon it's been incredibly frustrating um you know listen, I, I watch every game i see what's going on um and um you know i mean if you ask me, you know, would I have expected us to be in this position at the beginning of the season? The answer is no. But here we are, and you know, hopefully we can right the ship. And and uh, you know, listen, we have quality players. Uh, for some reason or another, they're not yelling. When we pitch well, we don't hit. When we hit, we don't pitch well. Um, it's it's kind of weird. I mean, it's actually very strange to me. And I don't know if the players are anxious. Um, I don't know if they're pressing. I mean, I assume there's a, that's a little bit of that. We see a lot of mental errors that what I call enforced errors. I, you know, obviously we can clean that up. Um, we've lost games because of it. And, you know, there's nobody to blame. And it's really across the whole team. Not only is he frustrated with the start. I mean, at some point when you're spending $300 million, you're going to absolutely have to make some changes. And sometimes that comes at the end of the season. It doesn't sound like they'll wait that long. I mean, I'm just taken aback by the fact that the manager and the owner are talking about the players being anxious. Like, maybe you don't have the right players then. If you're anxious as a major league player in the first half of the season, you haven't even hit a big spot yet, right? Where you're like down the stretch or you're like in a playoff game. Like, the players are anxious and pressing. Like, Man, I, I got to – to me, it just makes me – and I know the more I listen to these clips, it makes me think he did this press conference, Steve Cohen, because his team is woefully underachieving, and he wanted to back his manager and yeah. his general manager. 100%. I felt right, like that that's too. Buck, what it Buck was Showalter's done. not in the fire right And here. Billy Epler, who, by the way, has done an awful job. At no point did team. he say – The highest payroll on the team is not even good. Yeah, I mean, Jordan, at no point did he say – the manager needs to manage better. He said the players need to hit better, they need to pitch better, they need to gel better. And at no point did he call out anybody in management at this point, man. So it's, it's I saw be- on, on Twitter that he said basically was asked if they're going to be here, but, but you know they're guaranteed to be there for the duration of the season. He said absolutely. Talking about the manager and the general manager. So to me, this was clearly Steve Cohen, owner of the Mets, pointing the finger at the players. 100%. For underperforming. And- 
And that, that in a sense, may create a little more anxiety if he doesn't know that. I, I'm just throwing that out there. That may, <laughs> that may create a little more anxiety when you call the people that are anxious, anxious. That may be something that causes more anxiety. Jeff Passan joining us now, ESPN Senior MLB Insider here on Canty and Carlin. I'm Jeff Turn. Jordan Rannon alongside me today, hanging in here for the guys. Uh, Jeff, welcome into the show. First of all, what, what are your initial reactions to what Mets owner Steve Cohen had to say about his floundering ball club today? None of it was a real surprise, to be honest. You know, as much as Mets fans want Steve Cohen to be fire and brimstone right now and to be taking, you know, the manager, the GM, whoever it may be, to the guillotine and sacrificing them for the sins of this underachieving ball club, that's not his style. Like, that's just not how he goes about things. They may want him to be like George Steinbrenner, but he's only like George Steinbrenner in the way that he spends money, not in the way that he's going to have a sacrificial lamb for uh, every bad start. Now, uh, maybe the Mets warrant that right now because they are terrible underachievers at this point because they are about as mediocre of a team as there is in baseball right now. When you look at the talent on the roster, you ask yourself how. And, yeah, some of it is on the players, but uh, Buck Showalter in multiple instances recently has not acquitted himself well and has not made – good sound decisions and uh the fact that he's being completely absolved of this i think is not going to sit well with mets fans uh thanks for joining us jeff this is jordan ron i'm going to summarize real quick one of the things that cohen said if if it continues that he's going to be prepared to make moves by the the trade deadline right how realistic you think it is that the mets are active in selling at the trade deadline if things don't go well here in the next few weeks? And is that something that you could see some of the bigger names, you know, the, the obviously you start with Scherzer and Verlander, that those guys actually are dangled out there or potentially moved? Well, let's put it this way. Steve Cohen was asked directly, are Scherzer and Verlander potentially going to be on the block? And he declined to address it. And by declining to address it, that's pretty much an implicit yes. Um I think for the Mets to sell, they have to really stink. But right now, guess what? They really stink. Right. <laughs> so if if they are, let's put it this way. If the standings in late July look like the standings in late June, then the Mets are not only going to be open for business, but they're going to be the team that above every other team in baseball is being plundered and pillaged because they do have really talented players and they do have guys who can make an impact. Whereas when you look across the landscape right now, the teams that are selling Kansas city, no Oakland, no Washington, no Colorado, no. And beyond that, there really aren't a lot of avowed sellers at this point because there is such a muddled mess in almost every division, including both central divisions where you have a bunch of bad teams, but uh, they're, they're all bad, so they all have a shot at winning the division. Jeff, how much of, of the Mets' mess is compounded by the fact that they are in the NL East and to, to try to chase down the Braves seems unfathomable at this point, considering what a juggernaut they are. And then you're looking up at two teams in the Marlins and Phillies where it doesn't feel like a catastrophic end of the season is on the horizon. And then you're eight and a half out of the wild card. Like it, it feels almost as if no matter if they, they put some good weeks together, they're going up against insurmountable odds. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the Braves are the best team in baseball. I think that's abundantly clear at this point. The, yeah, the, the record-wise, uh, they're right there tied uh, mathematically with, with Tampa Bay, but they, they are the best team right now. Um, Philadelphia went to the World Series last year, and its starting pitching has been excellent over the last month. So that's been a real boon for the Phillies. And the Marlins, I keep waiting for the bottom to drop out because – I still don't know that they have enough offense to be competitive, but they're 12 games over 500. And at some point, you need to stop looking at run differential and look at record and don't ask how it happened. Just know that it happened and that it doesn't matter how many runs the Marlins are scoring versus the runs that they're giving up. They're almost 10 games ahead of the Mets at this point. So there would need to be a pretty epic collapse by the Marlins and a pretty great run by the Mets over the next month to even get them back to, to even. So the, the Mets have a quite the road to hoe. And uh, I think they're good. Don't get me wrong. I still think this is a team that is talented and that is capable of winning. And we saw, you know, Brandon Nimmo's hitting for, for power and Francisco Lindor is hitting home runs and Daniel Vogelbach is like they had last night. Well, you know, Mets are going to be pretty good, but uh, more than anything, they need those starters. They need Verlander and Scherzer and David Peterson, like he did last night, and Carlos Carrasco, and maybe eventually potentially Jose Quintana to come back in and, uh, actually do what they were supposed to, which is be the centerpiece of this team. The Mets were built around starting pitching, and their starting pitching has been garbage so far. <laughs> which brings us to potentially their future, right? Shohei Otani, right? We saw what he did last night uh, again. Mm-hmm. It's really just an extension of what he's done all all season, right? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous what he's doing. I'm wondering... the. The expectation was already through the roof of what he what he was possibly going to make on the market, right? When he if he if or when he hits the market, how much is he actually adding to that by what he's doing right now? What where could that price range actually go? You know, it's a really interesting question that I've been pondering in recent days, and I, I look. I'm not going to make a prediction on the exact number at this point. Uh, I think it is very fair to say that at the beginning of the season, $500 million was the floor and $600 million was seen as right around where the ceiling is going to be. I don't know that that's changed a whole lot because there's a certain point at which it's like, okay, if the highest paid player in baseball is making $43 million or so a year, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If the highest average annual value on a long-term deal is Aaron Judge at $40 million a year. Are we talking about a guy who's going to potentially raise that by 50%? Are we talking about a $60 million a year player? No, probably not. That's just not the way that the economics of the game work, even though Tani is two players in one, even though you can make the argument that he would be a $35 million hitter and a $35 million pitcher, so why would he get $70 million? It's all reasonable, right? But I just don't know that the free market's going to operate that way. So I'd put it this way. I think he's pushed himself closer to the 600 than he was at the beginning of the season. And I just I marvel at the fact that he's doing this in a walk year. Like, you want to talk about a guy who's clutching up and who's 
you know, who, who was facing one of the most pressure-filled walk years that we've seen because his free agency has been so anticipated. And then to turn around and not just put up like an MVP performance, but to outdo himself when already what he's doing is truly entirely unique throughout the history of baseball. Babe Ruth did not do this. Uh, none of his contemporaries did this. Nobody in the Negro Leagues did this. Nobody has ever done what Shohei Otani is doing right now. Like, let's just chew on that for a second because it's the reality. And uh, if you are a baseball fan or even if you are not a baseball fan, you can't help but look at Shohei Otani as being better at his sport than any other athlete is at his or her right now. Amazing stuff, as always. Jeff Passan, ESPN Senior MLB Insider. Thanks, Jeff, as always. Have a wonderful evening, man. Pleasure's mine, boys. Thanks for having me. We got to take a quick timeout when we return more on the Mets, plus Jason Kelsey dominates a beer-chugging contest as we continue on Canty and Carlin. This is ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Canty and Carlin, the podcast. Tia Carlin continuing here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Jordan Rod and I am Jeff Turn at JTESPN at Jordan R-A-A-N-A-N. Get it right. Make sure you give him a follow as well. I don't know who's harder to figure out. I mean, mine obviously is too many vowels, and yours as the silent H. That's why I went JTESPN. Easy yeah, to find me. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, everybody would just misspell that, right? I mean, no. You definitely did not. His name, by the way, is spelled T H U R N. Yes. Pronounced turn with the silent H. So when you were in elementary school, you never went to a class where they pronounced that correct. No, right? no. I mean, and if like, people say it now, I don't even correct them. I don't even correct them. I just say, sure, it's Thurn. That's fine. If that's what you want to call me, I don't care. It's There's too just much no work. way for somebody who doesn't know you to assume that the H is silent, though. You know, oh, like, that would really scare me if they did, right? Yeah. Like if they, <laughs> they, yeah. if they went with that and they knew that, I, I would feel a little freaked out. I can be honest with you. Um, Jason Kelsey is very good at football. And he was helping out at the annual autism fundraiser for the Philadelphia Eagles. And apparently, he's really good at chugging beer. 30 ounces of a brewski went down faster than one human should probably be able to chug one. I I wonder, what's more impressive? His play on the field or his ability to chug a beer? The beer chugging was impressive, no doubt. And to do it with like the, you know, he's got like almost like a crop top t-shirt with his belly like half hanging out. So on brand. For what you would think of Jason Kelsey, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a great video. Uh, have you ever heard about Tom Brady? We need to get to him no, against Tom no, Brady. No, no, Tom Brady, apparently, is a legendary beer chugger. Really? Yes. So Mike Reese, our ESPN Patriots reporter, wrote a story about Brady for his 40th birthday. Basically, he collected stories from a bunch of teammates and friends. So the story goes that they're all out, and you know it's all the linemen and Edelman, and they're having beer chugging. And they convince Brady to do it, okay? And 
they literally said he chugged his beer as fast as you could just flat, just pour, turn it upside wow. down and pour it out. Wow. He turns around and said, you really thought you were going to beat me on this? Walk and walked away and walked away. And the oh, place man. went bananas. I bet it did. Like I Tom mean, just, Brady, the goat and everything. And then Ross Tucker, former offensive lineman, kind of told the same story where Brady's just like an epic beer chugger. I have a Tom Brady question for you. All right. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your answer to this. Would you rather drink Tom Brady's bath water or give Rob Gronkowski a sponge bath? Oh, God. Neither of them sound like enticing options. It's a question I asked almost every guest on my local radio show for 10 years the first time they came the on. I'll drink the bath water. I'll drink the bath water. You're going to get greatness with every sip. Ugh, we'll be back on Canty and Carl. <laughs> James Harden or Kyrie Irving, which player will have a bigger impact next season? Thanks for listening to the Canty and Carlin podcast. You can listen to the show live weekdays from 3 to 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app. Canty and Carlin, the podcast.